time travelers. Did you miss us? Like any great podcast seeking to build an audience, we took an unscheduled hiatus for a few weeks so that Veronica could go on vacation. Mm -hmm. But don't worry, she's back just in time for us to see Men in Black International. And having seen it, I want to say in the best way possible, Veronica, I wish you had stayed gone for another week. <laughs> Toot -too. <laughs> Come on down, step right into the box office time machine. We'll talk about a movie, perhaps even two. One of them is old and the other brand new. you so much or muchas gracias whoa as they say in the country that i visited wow don't tell them which one it could be so many let them guess Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you can perhaps peruse my instagram account to yes. find out it's the long con you've just been trying to build up your instagram audience yeah by making it private <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's Veronica, I'm John, and welcome to Box Office Time Machine, the show where we go to see whatever the number one movie of the weekend is on one week, and then the next week we watch the number one movie from that weekend uh, many years in the past. And I feel like I've described the premise of this show much clearer than that. That was pretty bad. Oh, it's okay. I'm sure our faithful listener understands. <laughs> That's good. Well, this this is kind of an interesting week because, like I said, we, we go to see the number one movie of the week. So the idea is that we're going to see what America is going to see. This the movie that America loves. However... Yeah. Very few people went to the movies at all this weekend, so we saw the number one movie, but, like, no one saw it. Yeah, it almost felt like, you know, there's, like, Christmas in July, and this is, like, February movie season in June. Yeah, I was, re some, I was reading some articles, and they were like, oh, all the families were just saving up for Toy Story 4. <laughs> yeah, honey, don't don't break into the kids' college fund. Let's just not see Men in Black International. Which, it, you know what? Solid advice. Yes. <laughs> I mean, sure, it could be that this is a needless spin-off with trailers that seemed terrible and gave no reason for this movie to exist mm -hmm. to a franchise that arguably has only had one good movie in 22 years. Well, I'm actually, I guess this is a place where you can start. Okay, yes. What is, so you only like the first Men in Black. I, movie. so I know a lot of people have liked the third one. I have not seen the third one. The first one is legitimately one of my favorite movies of all time. The second one, I have blocked out from my memory other than the I, fact that I believe Laura Flynn Boyle and Johnny Knoxville were the villains. That is correct. Um, but I did see that in theaters, and I just remember being very, very disappointed because of how much I loved the first one. Mm -hmm. And uh, so much so that I made no attempt to see the third. Oh, man. Well, I, yeah, I think the first one is one of my favorite movies as well. Um, and uh, I... Kind of, I've only seen it once, but I remember enjoying Men in Black, too. I don't have, mm. like, 
it wasn't as good as the first one, you know, in my, I forget how old I must have been at that point. Like before, is this before high school? It was probably junior um, high. I, I, so 97, I have to imagine it was relatively shortly after that. We can probably, if we really wanted to think about it, we could probably figure it out by the fact that Johnny Knoxville was in it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a very, and Laura Flynn Boyle. When was the practice popular? <laughs> well, it's Laura Flynn Boyle. And if I remember correctly, her character is an alien shapeshifter who's taken the form of a Victoria's Secret model. I think you're right. I think there is a scene where she like sees a billboard where Laura Flynn Boyle is on the billboard and then takes on that personality. So this or is that physique. long enough ago that the actress Laura Flynn Boyle would be the age of a, a Victoria's Secret model and also long enough ago that Victoria's Secret as a brand would be mm-hmm. a big enough cultural touchstone. Okay, I, I'm going to guess 2002. I think that's a fair guess. I'm going to Google I'm going to guess September 11th, 2001. <laughs> no, that's Zoolander territory. Uh, it is 2002. Ah, look at me. Yes, it can't be September 11th because uh, director Barry Sonnenfeld was trying to release Big Trouble that week. Oh, God. That is also correct. starring uh, Johnny Knoxville. Oh, man. Johnny Knoxville had a year. I, Here's the thing I would say for Men in Black, too. Mm. Has jokes that works, mm. as far as I remember. Here's the thing I have to say about Men in Black 4, because I refuse to say international. Um, <laughs> uh, we have spent a lot of time talking about Men in Black 2, a movie neither of us really likes, and I'm ready to go into a 30-minute conversation about the book and movie Big Trouble, because I have <laughs> so little interest in talking about Men in Black International. You know what? I'm just saying, I know we usually save this, uh, save like a, a reel of judgment till the end of the podcast. I think this might be my least favorite movie we've watched for this podcast. Oh, man. I mean, for me, it's definitely up there. Uh, yeah, it was It was definitely the most disappointing, mm. for sure, for me. Most disappointing? Yeah. The Predator? Well, The Predator is technically non-canon for this podcast. Right. It was our demo episode before <laughs> we started releasing them. For sure. Other than The Predator, which was an episode that will never see the light mm. of day, I would think this is... I think we might have seen movies that are technically probably worse. Yeah. But I don't think there's a, like, a movie that, like, I don't know, that, like, topples so far down from, like, the... Sort of the the standard that the previous movies have said, even not the great ones, mm-hmm. and also is just plain boring and unfunny and the antithesis of what like a Men in Black movie should be. Yeah, it's it's weird. So we certainly have seen movies that technically, objectively, are worse films. Right. Um, the aforementioned, uh, the predator, I'm sorry, listeners, you don't get to hear that one, but I will still count it. The <laughs> predator, uh, night school. Uh, those are movies that were so like, seem to be so heavily edited, reshot that the, the scenes literally do not lead into each other. And the story doesn't make any sense. That is not the case here. Uh, the plot is completely comprehensible. Um, it's just a weird thing where I would describe this movie as being um, two hours of nonstop laughs with a success rate of around zero. <laughs> I it know. is just constant laughs and not a single one of them hits. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, and it's uncomfortable to watch. It is. I'm because I we were talking about we saw it together last night and we tried not to rant at each other too much after seeing it. But like. I can't imagine this movie not being, like, test screened to death. Yeah. And just 
I just, I am trying to imagine an audience that would, you know, be uproarious at all these jokes. And I can't, I mean, there were, in all fairness, there were, there was a group of like four dudes who were sitting in front of us in an almost empty theater Mm. that one of them seemed to have either be genuinely laughing at it or just very committed to a bit. Yeah, I couldn't Uh, tell. Otherwise, no one seemed to really be enjoying it at the theater we were at. And yeah, I did not. I think there must have been something that I chuckled at at one point. I, I remember it, but I can't remember what it was. Um, to be fair, they, so that yes, one guy in the audience of eight people in this <laughs> pat in this giant Times Square theater. Um, Let one- me set the scene. The seats oh, God. <laughs> were ripped. The there was popcorn left over. There were like straws. It was also like to its detriment, they also had like the full house lights on when we entered <laughs> and they did not turn them off until right when the movie started. So we were also able to see how shitty the theater was. So that definitely did not continue. It was incredibly to- gross. I, I don't feel like getting in a fight with a specific movie theater. But, I, like, <laughs> listeners, I'll just say, first off, you shouldn't be in Times Square anyway. <laughs> There's no reason to ever be in there. This was just a bad timing thing. Right. Um, we were stuck in this theater. I It really felt like it was... We were one porno away from it being the t- a Times Square movie theater from 1974. It I was know. It was gross. Um, yeah, to all those hipsters who wish New York went back <laughs> to its old Times Square days, know that it lives on inside the Empire 25 Theater 13. We saw our movie <laughs> in a universe in which uh, Rudy Giuliani never existed and men in black movies can't be funny. <laughs> uh, it was, um, but no, it, it was... What? Like, let's say that is that... that that's a, kind of a cool conundrum. Can we focus on that? Would you... Uh, well, would you prefer to live in a world where Rudy Giuliani never existed or in a world where Men in Black, none of the Men in Black movies were funny? I would also like to puncture uh, the premise of my own joke because I don't think Rudy Giuliani deserves that much, uh, uh, as much credit as he's given himself for quote unquote cleaning up New York. Isn't it Bratton? Yeah. That's it- the commissioner. It's all sorts. Rudy Giuliani's a gross garbage person. Also, the broken windows theory does not work. Yeah, it's fucking horseshit. Um, <laughs> there are so many things that would be more fun to talk about than Men in Black I know, we just keep going up these more yeah. interesting avenues. Um, anyway, I'm going to start recapping now yeah, so that we can... We can talk more... I know we started by kind of talking broad thing, broadly about uh, the failings of the movie, but I think let's just go through the plot. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then we can talk about the broad stuff in more details afterwards. So, Veronica, please start us up with our first of two prologues. Yes. So uh, we are uh, jumping right into the action with uh, Chris Hemsworth playing Agent H, and uh, Liam Neeson playing Agent T, or High T is. One of the jokes in the movie. They're, uh, they're British. Yeah, yeah, we get it. They have tea, and it's called high tea. Yeah. Get it? Uh, and the same way in the first one, Rip Torn's character was called um, uh, McDonald's. Alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. So they are uh, uh, going up the Eiffel Tower. There's a couple there 
trying, uh, like where the man is trying to propose to his girlfriend, they are interrupting that. They ask him to leave and they disclose why. I forget what it is, but it is some like alien reason, I think. And then they immediately neutralize them. Uh, neutralize them. Neuralize they don't them. like tackle them. Neutralize them. <laughs> they do the flashy thing. They erase their memory. Yeah. But it, this is one of several times where this happens where like they, like, so the agents would tell like the people they're about to, whose memories they're about to erase what's happening and then they do it when it would have been just as easy to not tell them anything and just yeah. ask them to leave. I feel like there's so many scenarios later in the movie where they are not doing it, which is as ridiculous as when they're like, instead of just like being like, hey, you can't be here after hours, they're like telling them the whole thing only to erase their memories. Yeah. And it seems other than introducing the sort of the plot mechanic of the neuralizer, I don't know why it's yeah, done. They'll walk up to people and be like, and then and the people will be like, what's going on? And the men in black will be like, oh, you know, it's a horn-billed Venusian come here to devour people. It's pretty it's pretty shitty. You should get out of here. Anyway, Flash, oh no, your birthday party's happening over there. Go over there. And it like it made sense in the original because we had to, yeah, introduce the dynamic and the, the way the neuralizer works. Yeah. But it is irrelevant here. But it also has happened once the people have already encountered the strange and alien thing. Yeah. Here, like, these people are seeing two official-looking dudes in suits at the at the Eiffel Tower after hours. It, they could totally just pretend to be cops and ask them to leave. Like, why? This, I don't know. This movie <laughs> really... The logic of the Men in Black as an organization, which is a silly organization in a comedy movie. Uh It does not have to make sense. It's literally based on urban legends. It's based on a comic, which is based on urban legends. It does not have to be completely logical. But the rules in this movie make no sense. And we can get to all the chase scenes and all Mm -hmm. the many scenes where human beings do not give a shit that giant chaos and action is happening. Unlike, and are not being neuralized. Unlike in the original, where every time there'd be a big action set piece, you'd instantly see a big truck pull up, and people would jump out and be, and instantly corral all the pedestrians who are obviously interested in what's going on, and be like, all right, uh, everyone, we're going to explain what happened with that water main break. That wasn't a water main break. Uh, it sure was. Just look right here. Right. Like, that would... Ha- and uh, such a... such. Well, I want to say it's an irrelevant problem, but yeah, there are no rules in the universe... Uh, the yeah. universe of this movie, not the literal universe that aliens come from. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they are off. So this one, the this this uh, prologue is strange to me because what proceeds to happen is that they just enter a room with their guns lifted, but you don't even see like the element of danger they're about to face off. It's literally them just like walking in someone like they're quipping something to each other and then we cut away like this scene makes no sense and it uh i I will get into my theory later that it is one of the two scripts that were combined to make this movie Mm -hmm. um but 
it makes no sense. And it's also, so what happens is, yeah, they talk to the people, they tell them to leave. Then Chris Hemsworth falls down, leaves Liam Neeson for a few minutes, just does nothing and returns to Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson acts weird. And in a few scenes, we'll find out there might be a shapeshifter that can take the form of other people. And guess what? If you're thinking it's Liam Neeson because he's so obviously the villain um, because he was left alone and now he's acting weird. And uh, because in the trailer he's a famous person but is only in the trailer for a few minutes. If you're thinking that's a or case, for a second. don't worry. That's obviously way too obvious. So the movie's going to take a twist. No, it's not. There are no interesting ideas in this movie. <laughs> Liam Neeson is a villain. It's a, a, obvious from literally the, before you know there's a villain. Exactly. Like if you saw the trailer, you were like, ooh, Liam Neeson is a famous famous name that's only in like one scene of this trailer could it be that he either dies or is the villain yes the pro it's a prologue scene that has no reason to be in the movie and then is made even more except to set up that's at some point they have their bodies switched mm-hmm. or whatever I, I still honestly don't really understand what happens to them yeah but i, I wasn't sure whether it was like, whether, like, Liam Neeson himself is entirely dead, because that's what it seemed have to have no happened idea. in later in the movie. We can talk about it. Or whether this is... Anyway, I so... Think that, well, they mentioned that they're fighting the Hive, which is a creature. But, like, this prologue, nothing happens in this prologue. And, and it takes and place three years in the past, although this movie was clearly held because later they say it takes place two years in the past, even though they've clearly said it was 2016. And I, uh, when we're recording this, when the movie came out, it is currently 2019. Yeah, if um, only this was the only misstep of this they movie. They could just change the text to say 2017 when they delayed the movie. But again... That would require watching it again, just spotting this air. Minute flaw. But like the bigger flaw is that this prologue is irrelevant. We the the prologue that ends, we then flash further back to a second prologue. To a second prologue. It's uh so it's basically a pretty nice family. I like their family dynamic. But basically, uh so it's night at a suburban home. Uh, the, the parents are downstairs watching some, like, weird game show or whatever, I forget. And, uh, they hear some rustling in the back. And the father goes to explore what it is. He's, like, uh, he comes back saying, like, oh, this is not just a dog or something like that. And, uh, then they're, like, call the cops. And immediately they have a, uh, they heard a, uh, they hear a ring on their door and it is the police, which is men in black. <laughs> and they, again, even, like, it, it wasn't super clear whether the dad actually saw anything. But they immediately tell them. Oh, that's a Zabarian. They grow big. They look cute now, but they'll be big when they grow older. Anyway, we got to flash you. <laughs> exactly. So they flash them. But as this conversation takes place... Uh, what they don't realize is that their daughter is awake upstairs and seeing this whole thing and the cute little Thavarian or whatever sneaks up to her bedroom and he's really adorable and if this movie were more successful they might make toys out of that thing but I don't think they would and anyway they 
talk to each other. She tells him her name is Molly. He tells her a thing in Tiberian. Googly boogly do. It's actually important later on, kind of. He says some alien bullshit. He says some alien bullshit, and uh, off they go. And so we now flash forward to the actual movie. and Kind of. Sort of. We flash forward to who you'd presume from the beginning of this movie is the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Tessa Thompson is the grown-up version of Molly, who has, a, I think, a really a fun dynamic. If this was, which I do think... The one of two scripts that was combined, mm-hmm. a basic remake of the first one, only instead of being recruited by the Men in Black, Molly has spent her entire life seeking them out due right. to her childhood experience. Like, I think that's fun. Yeah. We just that's see a good it idea. in super fast motion because we have to, in 20 minutes, turn into a completely different movie. I know. And I actually thought that, like, that part. So basically, what happens is that she aces all of her interviews with all the secret agencies or I guess like FBI and CIA all the spy agencies but what she wants to be recruited for is for this men in black organization or what she doesn't know is the men in black organization which they are not part of Mm -hmm. and so instead she wastes away her life uh, doing IT uh, sort of like computer support work while also monitoring some like using some super advanced technology alien landings on earth yeah i don't know if i was as old as i was when i saw the first men in black one i'd I'd be like yeah yeah she's doing computer shit (laughs) she's smart that's basically all you need to know it from where i'm sitting didn't make a lick of sense but (laughs) if you're like if you are watching this with the mind of a 10 year old you can just be like oh i get it she's a smart person who does computer stuff Yeah, so she's a smart person doing computer stuff, and one of these computer things bleeps one day when she (laughs) realizes she intercepts an illegal landing uh, from outer space in Dumbo, I guess. And so she she rushes over. uh, Can I I just pause for a second? So so she's been applying to the FBI, the CIA, and they're all... Super eager to hire her. Right. Because she's apparently like amazing. She's a genius. She's got awesome weapon skills <laughs> somehow. I guess. She's just fucking great. Um, but when they don't instantly tell her that there's an alien department, she just fucking leaves and returns to her job at a customer support line. <laughs> and it just seems like, yeah, like maybe if you work at the CIA for a little bit, if the MIB are part of them, they'll let you know? Yeah, it feels weird to tell you there's a secret alien. During the job interview. Exa- uh, yeah, exactly. No, I know. But this is one of those things that don't make sense yeah. in the Men in Black International world. And it's also like there's a bunch of like silly, goofy uh, dialogue during a lot of these scenes. There's a few lines that... Uh, there's one line that I remember specifically thinking, oh, that could be funny. It's just not funny right now. It's actually a little <laughs> earlier. She says to Emma Thompson, like, every, I saw you guys when I was little, and everyone said I was crazy. Everyone said I needed therapy, and I didn't need therapy. Okay, maybe I need therapy, but it's for other stuff. <laughs> and it's something like that. And I remember thinking, right. like, oh, that line could have been funny. And there's just something about the tone and the way everything's edited. Just nothing is funny. Mm -hmm. Except in the score, they play the Danny Elfman music from the original movie every once in a while. And it is still very good. 
and then it will just go to the new score, which is trying so hard to trick you into thinking things are funny. <laughs> so as we describe all of these scenes in this plot, just imagine a score going... <laughs> oh boy! If For only two that fucking was, hours. I would have loved it if it was literally that. <laughs> Here, let's let's see if we can if we can reenact it. You describe the next scene. Uh, okay, so uh, the next scene. Oh, so then she drives to Dumbo uh, in a cab, <laughs> and then uh, she. Come, she comes out. She sees these like a bunch of pigeons, and all of a sudden they fly into what she thinks is just a normal gate, but they actually kind of explode, sort of on contact. It kind of looks weird, as if they're going through this like uh, screen, like sort of like virtual it's like a hologram yeah the, the sky and the gate is all a hologram yes. and they pass through the solid thing yeah so basically they're they've like made contact with whatever hologram the men in black <laughs> are using and have gone up the other side and she sort of does the same thing she puts her hand through she sees it then she uh puts her face through and she sees the alien that she's been monitoring she sees that their agents are, are going to bring it back to their headquarters. And so she strips out of her red hoodie and to reveal that she is wearing, you know, the men in black sort of a white uh, shirt and black suit attire. And she tells the taxi to follow their uh, vans to the headquarters. In theory, I like all of this. <laughs> the idea that uh, unlike... Jay, unlike Will Smith, this is a character who's been tracking down the the Men in Black, and that like I read a review, <laughs> I read a review of the movie, I forgot the AV Club or somewhere, and the, like she's like she's tried everything. The only thing she hasn't tried is just wear black and walk in the front door. So she tries it and it works. And I read that in the review and I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, it, it doesn't really play out that way in the movie at all. Right. Exactly. Like it would be like that is a funny idea, but that's just not really how it happens. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah, so I guess she does end up walking into the Men of Black headquarters. She gets immediately intercepted and delivered down a chute to uh, be investigated by eventually Emma Thompson. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. So, like, she confronts Emma. You skipped the cameo from <laughs> Frank the Pug. That's true. Everyone's favorite character from the first movie who was beaten to death in the second movie so much so that they uh, everyone decided they hated him and they didn't put him in the third movie did they not put him in the third uh they had like a poster of him i only oh. know that from the wikipedia <laughs> I, but yeah i i just remember the second movie is like all about him and i'm like yeah, well, this character is. was funny and like Two scenes in the first one. I definitely didn't want more of him. Well, you're not a dog lover, John. What are you talking about? <laughs> What's my phone background right now? Aw, it's a very cute phone. Yeah, it's a poster for Men in Black International. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, yeah. Should I, I was like, do I do a joke or am I, am I going to be sincere? <laughs> Damn it. Okay, but anyway, so she, uh, as we referenced to before, she has a whole spiel for Emma Thompson about, like, I am the only one who found you. You need, uh, you, you know, like, I'm going to be a great agent. And Emma Thompson is like, okay, sure. 
I just remembered the first trailer for this movie has this scene and they've edited it so there's a part where they're like uh where she goes like um uh why do you want a gentleman black she's like and i don't or something like i don't wear black a lot but looks good as hell on you or something to emma thompson and the needle drop in the trailer goes oh snap 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 oh Oh, yeah because it's that song oh snap and i honestly believe it is the most embarrassing moment in any movie trailer i've ever seen and while this movie is terrible it at the very least didn't actually have that needle drop in this scene and in the scene and in the actual scene the moment is not nearly as embarrassing as it is in the trailer oh man what if like any time there was a a uh, a uh, uh, funny moment meant to be a joke uh there would be like that drop of like oh, oh snap <laughs> <laughs> like it might as well be a fucking air horn <laughs> Yeah, that would have been great. Oh. Uh, and so she gets recruited. There's a semi-montage of, like, two scenes of her, like, getting sunglasses and weapons. And I think that's the end of the montage. Yeah, we're here at one of the major problems of the movie in which they try to... I don't know if I'm right. I don't... Other than what we know from the Sony hack by North Korea a few years back, I don't... I don't know that much about the production of this movie. We do know from the Sony hack that they were trying to continue the Men in Black franchise and their big idea was that they were going to cross it over with other franchises. They were going yeah. to make Men in Black meets 21 Jump Street. Right, which is a fun idea. It's Yeah, it, it would have been something. Um, <laughs> basically, it would have just been the 21 Jump Street characters with aliens, I assume. It would have been more a 21 Jump Street but movie. That, but anyway, like they were throwing all kinds of things at the wall. And I really do think... This movie is, they had two scripts, Men in Black meets James Bond, with basically just James Bond plus aliens, mm-hmm. and a, basically a remake of the first movie. And they decided, why don't we take the prologue from the James Bond movie, then we'll take the first act for the remake, we'll cut it in half, then we will stick it on <laughs> the rest of the James Bond movie. That makes sense. Because we then, yeah, she then, despite being a week into her job, being a probationary... <laughs> yeah, there's like a scene, uh, sort of, I think that's another scene in the montage where Emma Thompson sits in front of like a tablet and it says, week one, <laughs> language training, week or whatever. And so we are to assume that that is sort of the syllabus for Tessa Thompson's character, but... I mean, we don't really see her do any of that, so mm. I don't know where in into that curriculum, like how far she went to before being sent to London, which we then realized was that like kind of a big mission, like at yeah. the end. It's like that is that is the person you decide to send to Spoiling London. Spoiling the end, it is later revealed that Emma Thompson knew all along that the London branch of Men in Black was run is being run by an alien in- infiltrator. Right. An evil alien infiltrator who seeks to destroy all life in the universe. And so Emma Thompson's idea is, why don't I just send 
this brand new employee who's been here for a week over there. She doesn't appear to have any mission because what she does when she gets to London is just leech onto Chris Hensworth's mission for no reason. For whatever, mm -hmm. for no reason, she just decides, I want to go hang out with I that guy. I think the reason is that she genuinely just thinks he's cute. I, I don't think we've got a much more than that. It almost feels, there's a weird scene where when she gets here, gets there, Chris Hemsworth walks through walks into the office and the like alien um i'm skipping his second introduction to the movie this is his third he right. walks through the the office and an alien men in black employee is like he's so sexy and uses weird slow motion powers to make him walk slower and like rewind yeah too. and and tessa thompson's character is like oh i've got to work with that guy and all we know about him at this point is that he's sexy. All she knows is that right. he's sexy. But it's almost as if Tessa Thompson, the actress, is like, well, that's a real retrograde reason for my character to want to work with him. So she doesn't play it as if she's attracted to him in any way. So mm -hmm. it just seems like she's just like, well, I'm talking to these goofy aliens. That dude's got a human face. I'm going to go hang out with him. <laughs> Fuck you, time lady. Yeah, it. yeah, it is pretty strange. Like, now that we... Uh... Well, no, it's it's a major no. problem in that, like, because I do think it's two scripts, one about like, and one would be about an American men in black agent who's a regular agent, not a probational rookie, but just a regular American who goes to England and deals with the differences between the British men in black and the American men in black. The American men in black are more like, like immigration police. Yeah, they use lorries. And like, the <laughs> you apparently can say a, a, a slur for gay people here and it means cigarettes. This place is crazy. Uh, but no, it's like, like, um, and I imagine that script would have been like an American goes over there. And the weird thing is, instead of being like immigration police in England, they're super spies. The MIB are uh, like the MI6. But, but like having her be a rookie makes no sense. And because I do think, I, I really do think it's two different scripts. She suddenly knows everything about the job. Like if mm -hmm. you remember the first movie, Will Smith He's very much a rookie. He is being trained by uh, Tommy Lee Jones the entire movie. Tommy mm -hmm. Lee Jones will ask him, oh, man, what kind of species would live a, live a vapor trail like this? And Will Smith will make a joke like, how the fuck do I know, bro? Who, who are you talking about? Did <laughs> um, But in this one, but so she goes and... Uh, we're, I'm skipping ahead. We should say his yeah. uh, James Bond introduction. Well, I guess. Is it even a James Bond introduction? I guess he's playing cards at a casino. So that's <laughs> very James Bond. And I'm not... I was trying to think about this. Is he using his Australian accent or is he British? I, I couldn't figure it out. I don't See, know that it at matters. at this point in the movie, you were so bored, you were trying to decipher Chris Hemsworth's accent. Yeah. Was whereas like I was literally... Trying to read the text messages of the people sitting in front of us who were so <laughs> bored that they were reading their phone. I, I yeah, it's like so. I guess he might be Australian. He might be. I'm just like I didn't really. I can never like place it because I feel like his accent has been different in other movies. So I don't know. Anyway. Also, what's his character? 
He's here. She's supposed to be a rookie, only she's not really a rookie. She knows everything. He's supposed to be really good at his job, only he's changed and he's really bad at his job now. However, he's not actually bad at his job because he succeeds in everything they do. So what the fuck is either? It's a buddy I cop movie. Like, where, what is their characters? Yeah, I guess like his thing is that like he used to be like a smooth maybe like operator, and now he like fucks up. But because I guess he's still innately like good at the job he still like manages to rescue himself that's a, that's a baffling character no i know i'm not saying this is good <laughs> but no no you're right that is his character he used to be a smooth operator but now he's kind of lazy for reasons which again which are really not explained by the quote-unquote twist at the end of the movie yeah exactly like so i'm not even sure like because the whole twist <sighs> is like we're not supposed to know that Liam needs... Like, it's supposed to be a surprise that anything has happened. So, like, what was it that happened to Chris Hemsworth? We, we just need to rapidly okay. shoot through this plot so we can just, like, anyway. bitch okay. about these broad things. So, yeah. So, he's, like, playing some alien game at an alien casino. He, like, he gets, uh like, I guess, like, the, the main, like, alien bad guy... Uh, wants to kill him, but he uh, for s- somehow propositions his alien wife, and instead she saves him, and uh, they end up fucking. This is what's the James Bond thing. Yes, he's yeah. at a, he's gambling. Um, he defeats the guys, but then he gets captured. But then the sexy like uh, girlfriend of the al- of the of the gangster decides to save him and sleep with him. Only instead of being a sexy lady in a James Bond movie, she's an alien with tentacles. Mm-hmm. And I would argue the one, like, one of the only clear jokes in the movie. But right. I think she should have been grosser. I think she should have been, like, like yeah, yeah, she has an almost human face, uh, but she's got tentacles. It was, like, this yeah, was... Yeah, she has, like, uh, sort of, like, squid, like, suck succulent things, yeah. like, on her fins. The reveal of her tentacle is, I think think the closest to yeah like the like i could mathematically go i see how this could be funny but i also think it would have been way funnier if they actually shown some of the scenes of them having sex it would have been way funnier (laughs) if they really made a james bond parody but with aliens if they really went to like the scene like and we like let that scene play out and they were like they were like that's my girlfriend Gugu-ba, don't you think yeah. she's sexy? And we pan over and it's literally like a gelatinous blob <laughs> with a wig going, Ooh, hello, Chris Hemsworth. And then, yeah, we cut to... And then we do a shot-for-shot remake of, like, the shower sex scene from Skyfall. Only, like, midway through, she starts to go down the drain and he has to get a plunger and he's like, one minute, I'll get you back. Or, like, or like she's on a bed and, like, but like in, you know, uh, what's it called? Like, gold? Uh... Gold. <laughs> he's like, oh, no, someone's painted you gold. And she's like, no, I just camouflaged for you, baby. Yeah. <laughs> or like shaking, not stirred, and then she like stirs it with her like tentacle or something like that. <laughs> oh yeah, she uh, she like uh like she has like a cocktail glass and he mm-hmm. drinks it and then she's like, oh no, don't do that. I I poop in cocktail glasses. <laughs> I'm from the planet Drink Poop. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we've just written a better movie. Uh, <laughs> yes, Cocktail Poop is a better movie than the one we saw. <laughs> uh, and so we now know a f- 
something about him. And so then we're introduced. But what? Other than he's handsome, what do we know about him? No, we him? don't know anything. That was that was sarcasm, oh, John. okay. Sorry. Uh, and so, yeah, so as we mentioned uh, er, uh, earlier, uh, then Tessa Thompson's Agent M is uh, sort of introduced, quote-unquote, to him via the slow motion thing with the alien lady. Um, his name is Agent H. They never make an H&M joke. I, yeah. Which is such a stupid joke, I, but I, really... I feel like... I thought it would be like he'd introduce them as like, hi, we're H&M. And she's like, I I should go first. And he's like, no, you're a rookie. It's H&M. And she's like, yeah, but it sounds stupid. Yeah. I thought that like they do that joke. But no, you kind of have to be like, wait, is his name H? Oh, that's was. Is that supposed to be a joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unclear. And so. Uh, oh, this is also she she gets to the British. Uh, Men in Black agency by taking a magical subway and we do uh, basically sh- uh, we just do shittier versions of jokes from the original movie like hey do you remember the scene where uh, Will Smith looks at a screen and they go those are some of the aliens and oh, it's yeah, like yeah, celebrities yeah. from 1997 right. we do that but now it's like Ariana Grande and Elon Musk <laughs> it's the same joke and then do you remember the scene where Will Smith touches like a gelatinous ball and then it like shoots around and the office and it's like excuse me and it oh well no, yeah not that one but like he touches like this little orb and it shoots around oh, the yeah. lab and causes a big mess and he's really uh he's really embarrassed we do that again but instead tessa thompson touches a furry thing and it explodes into a bunch of hamsters and they yeah. run everywhere and it makes a mess but then we cut away before we see if anyone cares because we never have an idea if there are pedestrians who care about anything in this movie. I will say, here, the, I think like the alien character designs are pretty good. There aren't. I many mean, of they're them. in service of nothing, but like the actual like designs of the weird alien characters are pretty cool. We're not there yet, but I will say one thing I legitimately liked about this movie. This movie is uh, follows in the uh, the path of. Um, uh, uh, Die Hard and many other films of casting, I'm pretty sure, professional dancers. I don't know this for a fact, but I assume they're professional dancers as the uh, heavies who don't talk that much. Mm. Um, uh, I like Did I, Die Hard do that? Well, he Was talks... Alan more... Rickman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've never seen him do and the Nutcracker? And the No, um, the guy with the long blonde hair is a ballet dancer. Oh, Famous really? ballet dancer, yeah. Oh, the brother of uh, Sven? Oh, or God, what's his name? I have to look it up. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, I will... Also, can I do a minute? And I actually just... I just assumed that the guys in this movie are dancers because they have a big dance sequence that does not make sense in the context of the movie, so I just assumed they must be dancers. Can I do a mini rant about the, the train? You 100% can do a mini rant. So this is a proprietary train of men <laughs> in black. Why do they need to pretend that it's a subway car and then convert it into like whatever bullet train? Yeah. To whose benefit is that? Like why? It almost seems as if in the original version of the script, she's supposed to go to a, like a special subway station, as if it's like Harry Potter or some shit. Like they're like, uh, you have to go to the, you know, right? If she had to go to like Prince Street and go to wait the Jefferson for a train. L, yeah, exactly. And then she gets there, and you have to say a very specific thing or like some shit. But no, she just walks into what appears to be in the Men in Black headquarters, exactly. a subway, because we see the fucking worm guys. Because we got to get the worm guys, just mm-hmm. like we got to get Frank the Pug. We see them coming. Like none of the aliens are hiding 
weighing themselves. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, like, why does the train need to convert? And especially because when it arrives in London, there's no reverse. It doesn't turn into an underground, like, train. Like, at least that must have paid off. Are they dancers? Uh, Well, Alexander Godunov, who plays... um, uh, from Die Hard, who plays Carl from uh, mm-hmm. Die Hard, is from the Bolshoi uh, Russian Ballet. Of course. You said Alexander Godunov. We didn't think he was from anywhere else. He's from else. the Brazilian. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, let me see about these guys. Um, <laughs> anything to not talk about this fucking movie. Um, uh, Laurent and Larry Bourgeois are... Um, French dancers, choreographers, yes. Okay, good job. Uh, (laughs) And I thought they had a good physical presence. Nice. Uh, And so, okay, where are we? Okay, Chris Hemsworth is in a meeting with um, uh, a bunch of agents and Liam Neeson's and uh, Rafe Spall, is that the name of the British actor? I think so. What do I know him from? I don't know. I was trying to find out, and then I... Stopped caring. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But anyway, he is... I mean, he's just like... I mean, he doesn't like Chris Hemsworth. I guess that's his only attribute. He's very, like, an uptight British man. Yeah, he's in a lot of... um... Uh, he's in uh, uh, he's in all the Edgar Wright Simon Pegg movies. Oh, maybe that's where I know from. Cool. Anyway, he's been in better things, and so <laughs> yeah, he's like his only character attribute is that he just hates Chris Hemsworth, and he thinks that he is up to no good, and he's gonna bring him down. God damn it! And yeah, uh, and everyone keeps saying Chris Hemsworth, you've changed, and we're like, has he? I don't know. He seemed kind of bumbling in that stupid prologue that had no reason anyway. Right. Because <laughs> the only thing we saw him do was fall. Yeah, uh, that is true. Uh, and so they have a meeting. I'm not entirely sure what it's about. Oh, it's where he gets the assignment. So he gets an assignment to be a bodyguard. Well. Uh, C is like, fuck you. Uh, Race Ball is like, fuck you, Chris Hemsworth. You're late and you're a mess. And Chris Hemsworth's like, I don't care because I'm handsome. And Liam Neeson's like, I protect Chris Hemsworth because for reasons that are definitely supposed to be like a friendly father figure in this movie, but absolutely seems sinister from moment one because there's not a second that they try to hide that he's the bad guy. Um, <laughs> And uh, then uh, he's like, oh, a, a really important alien is coming. And he requested Chris Hemsworth to be oh, his bodyguard. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, cool, his cool, name cool. Is Fungus, I believe. Yeah, something. Fargus. Fungus, fungus. Something that is basically fungus. And so uh, oh, in the meantime, <laughs> we flash over to Marrakesh, uh, Morocco. <laughs> and uh, we see this guy. He... Like works at I think a restaurant or something. Anyway, the fuses are acting up, and he goes up to check the fuses, and he basically gets uh, like there are like these two like fire looking things. I mean, we don't really get like much beyond like a definition beyond that, mm-hmm. but they sort of attack him, leave like a melted carcass, and. Both of them turn into basically twins that look like him. Yeah, they're they they're like 
they're like liquid fire and they turn into him. Yeah. I'm now realizing one of the twists doesn't make any sense. So they become the heavies. They're the two dancers I'm talking about. But right. later we are just... they. I thought they were twins. Are they? T- those are two people. Yeah, they're twin dancers. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I thought it was just one actor. Well, they're at least they're brothers. I, don't, I assume they're twins. They're okay. Like but um. But that's cool. No, no, they're actually brothers. Yeah, the Laurent brothers or something. Nice. But um, they uh, but I'm not. So they're they become the the main villains for uh, a while, and they're chasing our heroes. But then I think we reveal at the end that they actually had. After they're killed, had benevolent aims. Yeah, like they were trying to get that weapon to protect themselves from the real villain, which has assumed the body of Liam Neeson. The ill-defined, shitty, it's something that just controls people. Yeah, something called But like, so why were they trying to kill Fargus? So did they not kill Fargus or Fungus? I think they did. Because that also didn't make sense because they shoot something into Fungus's neck. Although I guess maybe, because I had a, this made no sense. Um, so anyway, they 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 come to London. Uh, we go to an alien nightclub. It is in no way as interesting as the phrase "alien nightclub" sounds. I know, and I I don't know if you've been watching what we do in the shadows. I've not. But there's a very good episode where they go to a vampire nightclub, mm. and that is very good. It's what you would expect a vampire club would be like. Sexy. I mean, just sexy, but also just like. <laughs> weird alien specifics imposed yeah. on, like, club culture. I mean, that's all you yeah, need, really. In this, we just have a CG or character weird wearing... specifics, yeah. A, a CG character wearing a hoodie who wants to fuck Tessa Thompson. That's all we get. Yeah, but that happens to her in all the clubs. Well, and there's just a, there's just like a weird... <laughs> Probably. Uh, <laughs> I've never looked... She's a very good-looking I, lady. I've I'd never imagine. looked like Tessa Thompson, so I wouldn't know, but I would assume so. But um, but yeah, no. She uh, we get a weird thing where we get a weird thing where it's it's implied that Chris Hemsworth character is trying to get her to fuck fun- fungus, um, and this is where I think again, this is fr- from the script where it was supposed to be an American cop dealing with British spies, which would make sense that the British spy would be like, yeah, honeypot operations are part of the job. You have to sometimes yeah. have sex. Or it would be even funnier if it was the 21 Jump Street crossover mm. and they were making like Channing Tatum do that. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, no, yeah, Jonah Hill. No, it makes, oh my God. It would this be- dynamic with Jonah Hill and, and, and Tantino makes so much sense. Yeah, that would have like, been great. Come on, Jonah Hill... Just go fuck that alien. <laughs> yeah, I think either one of them trying to seduce an alien is way better than just well, this is... a very, like, non-committal. Like, she doesn't end up needing to do that at all. It is, all, a, it really? is an irrelevant. It has no plot purpose. Um, but, yeah, no, this is something where this is the difference between you and I is that you think it would be funnier if Channing Tatum fucked the alien. But I'm more of a Jonah Hill fucks the alien kind of guy. Well, I think maybe Jonah Hill. I think actually it would be funnier if Channing Tatum tried to. I think there's something very funny about Channing Tatum's awkwardness when he plays mm. it awkward. So I feel like it would be kind of funny if he was trying to be sexy. Okay, and- I, here's the scene. They come in, and Chris Hemsworth's like, Channing- oh, Chris Hemsworth is not in my movie. Oh, okay, but way. whatever the British, whatever the British agent is, is like, uh, do Channing we Tatum. need a British agent in the scenario where it's just a Twenty One Jump Street? Doing All right, men fine. In Black? They've just joined. Well, I assume there has to be a Men in Black agent being like, hey, you two drug enforcement agents I have guess. to learn about aliens. Damn it. 
It couldn't just be a 21 Jump Street movie. Here's a, I think it is Tessa Thompson putting on a British accent. And she's like, <laughs> That would be better. Wait, which she did in Thor Ragnarok, so it's fine. That's true. Um, oh, that was not good. Uh, no, no, the care. movie was great. Her accent you know, was like, not good. But anyway, so whatever character is like, uh, Channing Tatum, you got to fuck this alien. And he's like, what? I don't want to fuck this alien. She's like, that's the job. You got to fuck aliens. <laughs> and Jonah Hill's like, come on, man. You wanted to be a men in black. You got to fuck these aliens. Yeah. Channing Tatum's like, fine, I'll go fuck this alien. <laughs> and then she's like, okay. And Jonah Hill, you've got to fuck this even grosser alien. And he's like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We just wrote a second better movie. Uh, it, so, yes. And so... Uh, Oh, and so the dancing brothers are coming in. And dance for a reason that I don't understand. Yeah, they're like, well, I think the only reason for them to dance is for them to realize that the way that they dance is very weird and alien-like, which in an alien club would not stand out. Yes, it should be a normal club. But that's the thing. Like That seems to be the thing that alerts them to the fact that they're villainous in some way. Which makes no sense. Yeah. How does Tessa Thompson, rookie, one week on the job, in what I have to assume is her very first alien fucking nightclub, she sees two dudes who look pretty human, just kind of crunk dancing, and she's like, hey, Chris Hemsworth, something's up over there. Yeah. Why? And he, he should just be like, what? What don't you like about their dancing? They're kind of the coolest looking dudes here. Exactly. No, I don't know. I, I mean, from what the movie is trying to make it out to be, it definitely seems that their dance moves are the ones that are triggering it. Yeah, it would definitely. But it's not, like, clear why that would be the case. Well, it definitely triggers her noticing them, right. which is bizarre, because there's, there's, like, fucking tentacle people everywhere, so who cares? But also not that many. This is another thing, that this alien movie doesn't have that many aliens. Like, when you watch walk through the first Men in Black lobby in the original movie, there are aliens everywhere. Everywhere. Anytime we see Men in Black headquarters, it is just humans. It is just humans. Yeah, it's humans. The budget did not go to that. Yeah, very sparsely alien populated universe. But not a cheap movie. Um, (laughs) uh, So I don't know where it went. I guess to Rebecca Ferguson's third arm. I don't fucking know. But um, so, yeah. So then. Well, well, wait. so, So they dance and then. Why they dance doesn't make sense. It appears that they are trying to imitate other people's dancing. Like, they're trying to fit in. Okay, uh-huh. fine. But why? Because then one... Is it a distraction? Because then one of them shoots a thing into Fungus's neck. However, it's a dis- if it's a distraction, why does he do it right next to the dude who's doing the distraction dance? It doesn't work. And then with the twist, when they're actually good, so what is he shooting? Is it just a fucking... Um, uh, uh, a tranquilizer a, or something? It's some kind of tranquilizer, but it's also a way to track him down. And then, most importantly... What blows up Fungus's car, and why, when it blows up, is Fungus still alive? <laughs> well, maybe he's not susceptible to our human combustion. Did Liam Neese- Neeson blow blow up? No, I think it was the. Wasn't it the twin? I mean, now you're making me doubt myself, even though I've saw this movie less than 24 what hours ago. What doesn't make any sense? It, are they actually trying? So they're, if we go by the twist later on, that they're not actually evil. They're just here to find Fungus because Fungus has a weapon that can be used to kill the hive. Well, and they're trying to k- save their own race. Yeah. So, I mean, it could still be the case that they want the weapon no matter how they get it so maybe like killing fungus doesn't matter to them maybe they just like want the weapon okay 
So what blows up Fungus's car? I thought it was them. Is it not them? My- we just don't we don't see it happen. He drives off and they blow up. What I thought oh. initially was that they shot like a, a timed bomb into oh. his body. But then when we see him, he's fine. His car just exploded. And then they appear. I so, don't know. I assume it was Or did Liam them. Neeson blow up the car? I mean, the thing is, is that like this movie is kind of boring and bad that like I didn't really pay attention that closely and like for a movie like that to have a twist that requires me to go back and see if the pieces fit together is like too big of an ask <laughs> I was also so distracted I, I spoiled how the scene ends they they shoot a thing into him he gets sick so they put fungus in his car and then the car explodes but this is the first point when I was really like wait what, what are the rules of this world? Because they are in the middle of London. We've already set up it's shortly after 12. And yes, I've been to London before. It's not New York. Things close up early. They're Pubs very close at like 11, yeah. not on yeah. Fridays They're, or Saturdays. London has like one all-night casino. It's, that's like <laughs> it. But still, I have to assume if you're in the middle of fucking London and a car explodes and rockets into a building and then crashes down on the ground... People would exit their houses. People would walk out of buildings and be like, hey, what's that? But no, the men in black have, I would say conservatively, a five hour long shootout (laughs) scene that is not interesting or fun in any way with these stupid aliens. And not once does a single person open their window, peek out, anything. They are in the middle of a or, or walks out of that McDonald's that's very prominently product uh, placed. Yeah, in there's there. a lot of product placement in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. But no. I mean, like, the Ray Bans are in the original. I, you know, it is what it is. No, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, like, there's not, there's not a lot of people in many scenes, I think, in that movie of just like, yeah, there are a lot of, like, even like in the Dumbo scene in the beginning, she comes into Dumbo and there's no, one there at all i mean like mid, not I, a soul i used to work in dumb dumbo in like middle of the weekday there are, you know you can turn down some streets and just not, not really see anyone but this is like offices. the this is i think this is one of like the streets where you can take all those fancy instagrams yeah like yes, there I, would be i i mean it just like sometimes it really did feel like Oh, they didn't want to pay extras almost. Like, I, there's just no background actors in a bunch of these scenes. I I can believe that there is a back street in Dumbo that you can put up a force field and people won't notice. What I can't believe is that you can blow up a fucking SUV in the <laughs> middle of London and no one will peek their head out a fucking window. Just like I can't believe that later you can fly through Marrakesh on an alien hover bike and everyone will just be like, that's cool, whatever, back to my Marrakesh stuff. <laughs> no, that that is far more egregious, I agree. Uh, anyway, so before dying... Fun- Guys, I loved this movie. <laughs> Before I feel like we're like twenty minutes. Uh, this uh, this fungus guy before dying gives her uh, gives Tessa Thompson's character um, this uh, sort of like a weird Rubik's cube looking thing. It's not really a Rubik's it's cube. It's more of like the flat puzzle. nut. It's a puzzle box from Hellraiser, only like taken apart. Yeah, it's sort of like. Um, 
Yeah, it's sort of like a weird deconstructed dice. I don't I don't really know how else to how else to describe it. It also kind of looks like some of the candy that they have in the first Willy Wonka. Oh, interesting. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, well, in the, well. in the re- Tim Burton remake, uh, they have a whole backstory about dentists. It sucks. Oh, yeah, that that one I did see. I did not <laughs> like it. I do like the book. I would recommend the book. Anyway, uh, and so he gives her this thing and uh, dies. She keeps it to herself as a secret. Oh, I think he tells her, like, there's a mole in your organization. He warns her like that, that uh, something has happened to H, Chris Hemsworth, and also there's something wrong with the men in black, but I've touched your hands with my alien magic and I could tell that you're okay. Which, by the way, I'm fine. This is the kind of thing like, yes, he's an alien. He has the ability to touch your hands and tell if you're good or not. That's okay. Right. That's the kind of logic that's fine. But also, it is also implied, I think, when he meets Chris Hemsworth, he shakes his hand and his hand glows in a different color. If what we know at the end is true is that Chris Hemsworth is a good guy, like why does why do his hands because flash weird? I think they've cut half of the twist out. <laughs> I think they cut out the part of the twist that explains so much of this movie is people telling Chris Hemsworth, you've changed, but they never really explain how he's changed. They explain something, but it doesn't actually explain anything. Right. Let's, let's just... Uh, Whatever. Can we like anyway. speed through? This is also the point in the movie where, uh, sorry, dear listeners, as much as I love you, I was so close to walking out of the theater. <laughs> yeah, it's just boring. Anyway, uh, oh, I think we neglected to mention that after the twins killed that dude, they went to like an antique store in Marrakesh. And, oh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, we meet our fun sidekick character. Yeah, we met our, our, our cute uh, supposed to sell toys character. Um, but yeah, so they go into like a secret back room in this uh, antique store and uh, it's like a chess set that is filled with like real pawn, like sort of alive fig- figures and that are aliens mm-hmm. and there's like a cryptic conversation between them. But I believe once we go to Marrakesh, uh, this I think at I, some point this happens before because they give him when he first goes there, they tell him where fungus is. I guess they and do, then, but then like when so when so we go to Marrakesh, I forget why do they go to Marrakesh? Because okay, so fungus has died. Rafe's ball reappears and goes, Chris Hemsworth, you fucked up. You let fungus die. And then Liam Neeson's like, I'm going to cover for you again. Oh, boy, I'm sure not the bad guy in this movie. I'm definitely not pulling the strings for in ways that will never make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, you have to track down. Um, I, I, I There's some for some reason they know they have to go to Marrakesh. This, it, yeah. this is really the point of the movie where I was <laughs> hating it so much that I I, like, I don't know why they decide they have to go to Marrakesh, for, but, but yeah. they do. They for go to fucking reasons. Marrakesh. They find the uh, the arm, the secret alien arms dealer of the chess set, only it appears that the twins, who will eventually discover, are good, I think. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they've murdered everyone. Except, except for, for... Yeah, except for uh, Camille Nanjiani voiced a little pawn character who in a stroke of creative genius is then christened Pawnee by Agent M. Like literally, 
I feel like any sort of weird vanilla name would have worked better than just Pawnee. Like, I think later on they make a joke about someone named Steve. And I'm like, if you call this alien Steve, it's so much funnier than calling him Pawnee. I mean, this could have been a fun joke. This scene where he's introduced is paced so weird and so badly. They show up. Everyone's been murdered except for him. The joke is supposed to be he is going to kill himself, commit like, you know, uh, 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 Harikari? Uh, I think uh, it's called Sapoku. Uh, Sapoku. What's Harikari? I forget. Maybe it's also part of it. Uh, he's going to kill himself because he let his queen die, but he's too cowardly to do it. And then Chris Hemsworth, it, like, the lines are here, but the beats aren't here. Chris Hemsworth's like, I bet you. They, they are instantly like... I bet you won't do it. It's crazy. He is surrounded by his slaughtered friends and family. They have not met him before. They start telling jokes. And the score, this is when I really noticed the score. Because it was insane that this was supposed to, like, these are supposed to be jokes. They walk in on an alien trying to commit suicide because all of his loved ones are dead. Also, and the score is like, but also the one of the first things that Alien Guys makes is a Kanye West reference. Oh, oh yes, they come in and they go, "What happened here?" And he's like, "What do you think? Kanye West came in and dropped an album. It was great. No, it wasn't. Everyone's dead." Why, Kanye West? You're in Marrakesh, anyway. And so, like, I love Kamal. Yeah. This character sucks so much. But you know what? To be fair, the one person out of eight who was laughing in our theater, the only jokes he was laughing at were a few lines that Kamel said. And he was laughing pretty hard. That's true. Everyone I mean, else in the movie looked like they wanted to kill themselves, like Kamel Nanjani's character could not do in this scene. <laughs> but Including a 10-year-old kid who was sitting in front of us. The 10-year-old kid just got up and left. The 10-year-old kid yeah, was so I bored. I know. That is very true. Uh, anyway, so, uh, they somehow convince him to start serving Agent M as his new queen, and so he ends up joining them. It's, 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 uh, this is like a scene where, like, we're explaining this, and you're like, okay, I can see how that would work. This scene is so weirdly paced and so (laughs) rapid. She's like, he's like, I don't have a name. And she's like, okay, I'll call you Pawnee. Why? Why does she have a name? He should already be her sidekick and she should feel the need to call, give him a name. There's no reason for him to give him a name. He has in no way set himself apart from any of the other, other aliens we've met, except for the fact that he has a merchandisable character design. And if this is going to be a new fucking franchise, we got to sell fucking Pawnee toys. <laughs> so they suddenly are just acting like he's a sidekick. And he's like, I'm your sidekick now. And she's like, okay. And she puts him in her pie, his pocket. <laughs> yeah. And then in the next scene, she clearly does not have a living being living in her fucking pocket. <laughs> I know. And so, uh, and so, yeah, so they leave the thing, but, uh, oh, so Agent C, which is the Rafe Spall character, he sends a bunch of people after them. So the men in black are after the men in black. And so he sees on, he sees a recording and sees the, the moment where Fungus gives her the puzzle box and he's like, oh no, Molly's the mole. Mm-hmm. Oh, because they've also already figured out. Oh, oh, fuck! They figured out there was a mole because there was a whole thing where Molly just intuits that 
it, the only way fungus was killed, the only way that the dancers knew the fungus was there must have been a mole in the men in black. Right. I but mean, that doesn't make any sense because the twist er, makes that whole line of thought irrelevant. Right. It doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, and so in Marrakesh, off they go onto a hover motorcycle referenced earlier. No uh, one cares. No one the, notices. Exactly. Like, they, like, so there's one time where they do use the neuralizer when they first start, like, flying the thing. But then at no other point going down, it could have been like a fun gag of them just like flashing people. Yeah, like and quickly as they giving go. them memories. Yeah. Or or never do it. Or just be like, you know what? This is unlike the other one. We just don't care about wiping people's memories. But to do it once feels so weird. It would be like if you were watching like a Superman movie and they shoot him 30 times and he's like, huh, bullets don't affect me. And then they shoot him again. He's like, oh, no, I've been shot. And then they shoot him 30 more times and he's like, bullets don't affect me, except for that one for some reason. Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, it was just like, and it feels like kind of bad nitpicking. I like any, if this movie made any more sense other than, but that's just like more of the symptoms of just like this being. Yeah, it does. Super shoddy. It does seem like. It does seem like a, a an irrelevant nitpick, but I think it does. It makes the jokes not land because the characters are poorly defined. He, uh, Chris Hemsworth's character, he used to be good, but now he's bad. But actually, he's kind of good, so who cares? <laughs> uh, Tessa Thompson's character, she's a rookie, but she kind of knows everything, but then she kind of doesn't. Who cares? Uh, Liam Neeson's character, he's the bad guy, and he's turned into an alien, but also he's kind of still Liam Neeson. Who cares? <laughs> The world, uh, the men in black have to hide themselves, but also when they go to Marrakesh, they still just wear uh, European suits. Who cares? None of the <laughs> rules, like, there's nothing that sets us in a world. You can have a fantastical world, just there has to be some rules for the jokes to land. Yeah, otherwise we don't know what is weird and what is not weird. If, like, there's no consistency at all. Or just or just make a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon and just have good wordplay and visual gags. But we're not doing that either. So no. what is this? I don't know. So they fucking they go through Marrakesh. <laughs> they end up in the fucking desert. Yeah, they don't meet John Wick, unfortunately. Oh, there, there's an alien who's a beard, but then he... Oh, yeah, so the person from whom they took the bike is actually... He looks like a typical Muslim with a beard, <laughs> but no, his beard is actually a tiny alien. Or, like, a beard-sized alien. And he somehow character design, sure. Yeah, he somehow hides in their oil. No, water bottle. He hides Uh, in their water bottle. Yeah. And so then he knows that oh, so they finally figure out that the little like uh deconstructed cube thing is actually uh a the most powerful weapon ever. I don't know how they realized that really. They decided to shoot they realized it turned they press the right button it turns into a gun and they're like fuck it let's give it a try we're in the desert who cares they put it on its lowest setting and even at its lowest setting it basically creates a new grand canyon in the middle of the desert but i feel like the the joke joke, but i feel like the joke about it being the most powerful weapon happened prior to them actually shooting it Mm. so that's my question of like how do you know also, like, how do you know how to operate 
any of that, but whatever. Anyway. Well, she's on her second week of the job, so. Of course, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's probably day one. She uh, knows everything, except for the many times when she doesn't know everything, which are different than the many times that she does know everything. Nothing makes sense. Nothing is consistent. <laughs> and so they blow this, uh, something the size of Grand Canyon mm. into the desert. Um, then the cute alien snatches the deconstructed dice the thing. The beard, not Pawnee. Yes. Uh, and uh, they, uh, he somehow runs off. I forget exactly what allows him to do it, but he does it's it. It's like a jetpack. Oh, okay, cool, whatever. Uh, and so <laughs> even though, even though you thought they were trapped in the desert, turned out it was a choice because the next thing you know, they uh, realize, oh, uh, Chris Hemsworth's ex was an alien weapons dealer and we should go to Naples. And I was like, oh, so you can leave the desert? Why did you stay in the desert well, for so long? Then we cut to the, the night and I think it's presumably they, they fixed the hover bike. But one thing we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't miss because the movie forgets about it. So when Tessa Thompson, the protagonist of the first act of this movie and nothing that comes after it, when she first joins the Men in Black, she has a whole speech to Emma Thompson. She says, I have to join this because I have no life. I have no loved ones. I have nothing. All I have is my desire to join this. And then so in this scene, and that's supposed to be her character, but it does not come up in any way mm -hmm. except for this moment where very ham-fistedly Chris Hemsworth goes, I bet you've never loved anyone. And she goes, damn, you're right. And we're like, oh, yeah, what? True. What does this have to do with anything? Uh, and then it never comes up again until the very end of the movie where Emma Thompson goes, as you can see, to be a Men in Black, you have to give up a lot. And we're both like, what is she fucking talking about? <laughs> what? Uh, so there is a completely unearned emotional conversation right. for, of two lines that are about an arc for a character who had this arc. It, it's We get like, so imagine an arc. Uh, you see, like, uh, you see an arc. Picture the, the geographical shape of an arc. Now erase all of it except for two random points. <laughs> That's what we get. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just, like, so boring. I mean, like, even when they're trying, it's, like, so by the numbers. It almost feels like a script I could have written when I was learning how to write scripts. I thought of, you like, were going to end with just a script I could have written, and I was about <laughs> to say, Veronica, you could write so much better. But <laughs> no. yes, as, as, like, a student at maybe in high school, yes. Yeah, it's like there are all these things where, like, they are so sparse in terms of, like, detail or, mm -hmm. like, any sort of creative, like, contribution to like like traditional story beats where it's like it's literally the most boring version of what could be said for a plot point that you think must be included in whatever genre you're making it like feels, there's nothing creative about this movie it feels very much like the people who made this movie were like okay this has to appeal to every person on earth <laughs> and so they're like okay like, feminism is big right now. So Tessa Thompson at one point has to be like, it should be women in black. 
But her being a feminist should never be mentioned ever again. That's not a part of her character because that will make men unhappy. So just have her reference it once to make women happy, but never have her reference it again because that will make men unhappy. And she should be the star, but the racist won't like it because the black woman's a star. So actually, Chris Hemsworth should be the star. And it should be a spy movie. But then the original fans won't like it because the original movie wasn't a spy movie. So actually, the first half should not be a spy movie. It is fucking everything and it is nothing all at once. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, okay. So, where are we? Okay. So, now we're going to the island where I guess Chris Hemsworth's girlfriend lives on. Yeah. They talk about her for like 10 minutes before we see it. And we're like, oh, is this going to be a, a really crazy puppet or a big celebrity guest? It is Rebecca Ferguson, who I love, um, but they've. This is the one I, I said this movie, unlike something like The Predator, doesn't have a bit a lot of big important scenes cut out. The one thing that's clearly cut is Rebecca Ferguson's character's introduction. Yeah. It almost felt like she's introduced mid-sentence. Yeah, that was pretty strange. I mean, that's sort of indicative of this movie. We suddenly just cut I do think I think unlike some of the other movies, they didn't cut scenes. I think just the individual scenes that like every scene had like any space between the lines cut out. And mm. I think that's part of the reason why all of the jokes fail because the timing is so bad. Yeah. So like there's clearly some kind of scene where um, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's uh, alien arms dealer, uh, who's she's just a sexy lady with a goofy wig and a third arm. Um, she's supposed to be shown to be kind of crazy and also murdering a guy randomly. But we basically just cut into her saying, I'm murdering you, bang. And she shoots a person we've never seen before. Right. So clearly some editors went, we got to cut this down. Okay, what do we need to see? Well, we need to see her face and that she murders people. <laughs> so let's only include that. <laughs> Yeah, it was very, uh, definitely an abrupt introduction. And so uh, they sort of sail to her uh, her island. They are immediately captured. Where, interestingly, um, do you, our friend Alessandra, her parents were married. Oh, is that true? When I post on Instagram that we, we were seeing this movie, she messaged to say, I saw it too. And I said, uh, I said, was it, did you hate it as much as we did? And she's like, well, I saw it with my dad and we just saw it because he got married at that island. Oh, that is <laughs> such an odd, how would you even know? Like, do the people on the island advertise the fact well, that it was in men in black? His, her parents grew up in the town around oh, the island. Okay. So maybe it's like a well-known thing if you still follow the community news. Yeah, if you get the local newspaper, it's the high school's football scores. And by the way, Men in Black's coming. I mean, <laughs> imagine like if someone was something was shot in your town. Like, let's say my town has so few island castles. No, I know. But let's imagine a boring movie was shot yes. in your town. Yeah, no, we would. know. I, uh, a non-boring movie, a, a lovely movie that I haven't seen in many years. Uh, the movie IQ, the romantic comedy oh, in which Walter Matthau plays um, Einstein. Albert Einstein hooking up a greaser played by Tim Robbins and his niece played by Meg Ryan. <laughs> that was filmed in my hometown. Well, so that was a big deal. Yeah, well, okay. it was funny because I grew up by Princeton and, of course, Einstein uh, lived in Princeton and oh. taught in Princeton. He was almost the president of Israel. 
No, I didn't he know was that. offered it. He rejected it. Uh, there's a picture of him at the ice cream place I used to go to. Oh wow! Let's 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 try one upping each other yeah. with Einstein facts. Well, I, I didn't. I, I didn't grow up in Princeton. I grew up in a town near Princeton, and in my town of Hopewell, the auto mechanics that uh, Tim Robbins' character worked at is uh, uh, that is in my hometown. Oh, very nice. That movie I haven't seen in at least twenty years. Better than this movie. <laughs> uh, so, what was I saying? Oh, so the island where our friend Alessandra's parents got married <laughs> is actually the secret lair of this weird third arm lady. And uh, so Chris Hemsworth gets uh, intentionally captured by her goons while Tessa Thompson is attempting to climb the side of a cliff. Um and so, uh, so it turns out Chris Hemsworth was in like a two-year relationship with this woman, and uh, he's pretending that he's back to reconcile uh, with her. And in the meantime, she's uh, also received this weapon, so she is actually trying to sell it. So they came to the right place. Yeah. It seems like. Um, but she instantly sees through him, and she right. knows he's actually going there get the weapon but it's implied she once did have real feelings for him right so uh they he's able to uh so when she throws him out he's able to go into the security shack on the island and somehow mm. disable all the lasers that well, he are... beats up her two human goons oh yeah that's true <laughs> she has a fully cg goon and then she has two guys that are just in suits that's true she <laughs> throws him out they escort him out and he kind of like just gets rid of them very quickly sneaks into security hut uh disables I, lasers all right you, you we talked about whether or not this movie feels cheap and it does like it's not cheap it costs a lot of money it's cost um, over a hundred million dollars but other than the built-in production values of this castle being beautiful this sequence felt really cheap because <laughs> there are, is no one on this island except for her like one cg character and her two goons that are just a couple of dudes they just yeah. look like the director's friends <laughs> with matching outfits <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that, I mean, again, we talked about it previously f about this movie. Like, there are not a lot of extras here. Uh, and so Tessa Thompson climbs over the cliff into the house. Because as a rookie with a uh, past in customer service technical support, yeah. she obviously knows how to climb a sheer cliff face <laughs> with zero, like, equipment or anything. And stay in one position yeah. for, like, a good ten minutes until, like, the whole thing gets disabled. You know the beginning of Mission Impossible 2 where fucking <laughs> Ethan Hunt climbs a cliff face? Airs rock. Yeah, and you're like, that's pretty ridiculous, but you know what? That's the tone of this movie. He's fucking Ethan Hunt. I guess he's now a superhero. It's imagine if that happened. Imagine if that happened an hour into risky business. <laughs> That's what it feels like. We have in no way set up that she's like a master athlete, but she climbs up a sheer fucking cliff face. That is true. Um, and so anyway, so she goes into the thing. She tries to steal it. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson immediately notices her, so they have a fight. The third arm comes into play. For some reason, I thought she even had a fourth arm. I'm not I sure. I she'd want her to, right? But she doesn't. She only has the third yeah. arm. I assumed it was oh, going to well. be a thing where like she kept revealing new limbs. but Oh, no. that would have been fun. It would have but... been <laughs> fun. Yeah. Oh, well. 
Let's and- talk more about 21 Jump Street. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Let's imagine what that scene would have been like if it was 21 Jump Street. Whoa, Channing Tatum, look at all her arms. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like they would have had extra arms. We brought out. back Brie Larson's character who was unceremoniously cut from the second movie. Or it's Johnny Depp again. Oh, but he's dead. Well, he could be resurrected. Anything Smart. is possible. Did they ever explain why Brie Larson's character wasn't in the second movie? I don't remember. I mean, I guess it makes sense. There's really no no reason for yeah. her to go to the same college as them. Yeah. I mean, just people move on. Yeah. Lives go on. Anyway, uh, maybe she was kidnapped by a man and then <laughs> impregnated by him and lived, lived in his dungeon uh, basement for seven years. Yeah, that is, the, the 21 Jump Street room <laughs> crossover is even funnier than the 21 Jump Street Minute Black crossover. Or as Jonah Hill says... It's power. Oh God! What's his fucking quote from the the hack? Um, I like Jonah. Uh, I like Jonah Hill just fine. You know what? Saw Booksmart. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Um, I like his sister just fine as well. She was yeah. very funny in that movie. Um, sure but his quote from the uh, do you, do you remember this? The email about the email conversation that no. So for anyone who doesn't remember. Um, oh uh, yeah Seth Rogen while I look this up you explain this okay so Seth Rogen and James Franco decided to make a movie about North Korea North Korea allegedly I guess we don't want to be sued by North Korea hacked into the Sony uh, studio email system because apparently they were storing emails in Excel spreadsheets but we can discuss that later Uh, and uh out came a shit ton of stuff, uh, including the fact that they were not paying actresses as much as they were paying male actresses, plus uh, a bunch of like uh, about how some directors are racist. Uh, there was like that whole thing, right? Because they were like referring to people as like Obama crowd or something like that. Oh, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't even remember. There was I like a lot a- of. There was a big thing at the time of like people were trying to say like don't like the same thing like whenever like uh, an actress's nudes are leaked like don't look at it if you look at it that's this is someone's stolen goods don't right. don't look at it so I didn't look at much but I do remember because I will always remember this except I didn't don't remember because I had to look it up oh there was but, like a thing with David Fincher I I there was like a bunch of just like dirt coming out. But yeah, there were like uh, also as part of that a bunch of like movie ideas and pitches that were uh, leaked. They wanted to make Men in Black 23, which would have been a sequel to 22 Jump Street in which the two characters join the Men in Black. And they pitched the the idea to Jonah Hill, who's obviously both the star and an executive producer of the 21 Jump Street movies. And his response was that the idea was, quote, Clean and rad and powerful, which I I love so much. Uh, uh, So when I was living in L.A., uh, we went to see the movie Greenberg in like a mall in West L.A. Oh, yeah. A little uh, Noah Baumbach. I know, Baumbach classic. I like that movie. Yeah, it was good. Uh, but so in the food court, uh, right before the movie, we see Jonah Hill hang out <laughs> with like a bunch of people, and we were like, we all we were all interns at the Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, uh-huh. and we were like, oh, we hear Jonah Hill just hangs out with people, so like randomly, like he would be anyone's friend, uh, and so we were like kept like trying to devise ways to like approach Jonah Hill so that he would become our friend. 
it didn't happen. Oh, but, you just weren't clean, rad, or powerful I enough. I mean, yeah, you pick three, pick two, I guess. I I love that quote, and I really want people to say it more. So, clean, listeners, rad, and powerful. I beg of you, let's just start saying that about stuff. Like, yeah, I think that's clean and rad and powerful. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> I think it's so funny, but you know what? I don't think it's funny. Men in Black Black International. (laughs) So anyway, they uh, fight her, but then it turns out, do you remember that fucking stupid alien from the second prologue of the movie who was was cute? cute? And they were like, cute aliens grow up. And he said, googity boogity boo. Well, it turns out he's the same species. And she says, googity boogity boo. And then guess, like, to the bodyguard of Rebecca Ferguson. And then it turns out that he's actually not only the same species, he's literally the exact same alien from when she was a child. Uh, I think f- five or six out of the eight people in our theater <laughs> audibly went, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he like looks at her and he also remembers her name. Molly? He's like, Molly? And then I think she asks him, hey, what did that mean? Uh, and uh, he says, oh, it means like kill everyone in the universe or something like no, that. No, it means uh, it's like, thank you for helping me. I will I will brutally kill whoever you choose. Uh, and so he, despite being Rebecca Ferguson's bodyguard, the instant she says that he's about to brutally kill Rebecca Ferguson, which I feel like in some version of the script probably was a funny joke. Yes. In practice, it's fucking not. Uh, and I, I know we haven't stressed this enough. Uh, every scene we've described, um, imagine Kamel Nanjani's little character saying a really unfunny one-liner every five seconds. And once again, imagine the score going... <laughs> also, I believe he makes more pop culture references that are as incongruous as yeah. in making a Kanye West oh, one. Made, oh, I forget what it is. is. You, it doesn't you matter. very angrily turned to me after the second one and went, how does he know that? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I hate pop culture references for no reason. I well, just, it'll definitely age really exactly, well. Like a fine never, wine this movie will it, age. Those things never age well. So why are you doing them, especially when they're so unneeded? Anyway, and so they so they uh, run away with that weapon thing. And uh, what do you know? The uh, monster twins that you think are the villains intercept them. And uh, they're sort of... They have annihilated all, like almost all the space around this cliff that they're standing on, and uh, and I guess what ends up happening is that like Liam Neeson shows up with the Men in Black, and they kill the aliens, and that's it for the aliens. Yeah, they kill the alien twins. I'm I'm just gonna speed this up because I don't fucking care. They kill the <laughs> alien twins. We go back to Men in Black headquarters. Yeah, they're like, oh well, I guess this is done. Da, 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 da. Let's go back. Something really weird happened. Where Rafe Spall's like suddenly, everyone suddenly like, wow, you're really awesome, Chris Hemsworth. Do you think there was a point where like everyone in the Men in Black, there was like a version of this movie where everyone in the Men in Black had been possessed by the Hive? Because everyone's suddenly acting weird, but as the movie actually plays out, only Liam Neeson is evil. I don't know. Because, like, 
Rafe Spall's character is even like, wow, you fucking... Well, this is the part where he's like, you saved the world twice in two years, even though technically it should have been three years. But um, but I think I think it was the movie because takes place he in 2018. saw something. I we think did, he. I think he actually explains his reasoning. He's like, I actually, uh, I thought there was a mall, but then I saw a thing. I forget what it is, and I realized that it can't be you. A shot of him looking at a painting. There are multiple in Liam Neeson's headquarters. Oh yeah. Office. There's multiple shots of a painting. So this is an organization that wants you to erase all identification and get rid of all your backstory. But they will, if you do anything cool, have a portrait made of you. Yeah. Um. So they have a portrait of Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, and they have a portrait of Liam Neeson and Chris Hemsworth. In Liam Neeson's office. Doing yeah, so I actually, it would make sense for them to have the Liam Neeson at Chris Hemsworth poster, but why do they care about Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones? That's a different, like, uh, my, I, bureau. I thought the first movie suggested that the uh, uh, Roswell situation, that Tommy Lee Jones character, who as a young boy young teenager just like came upon accidentally that was the origins of the men in black but this movie says that the first agent in the men in black was actually um the guy who designed the eiffel tower yeah that's true gustav eiffel yeah who fucking cares yeah. anyway so they realize something's up the three of them realize something's up chris hensworth makes a a, a heroic thing of being like if uh, liam liam neeson's evil but if if people find out he's evil, it'll ruin the reputation of the organization. So tell people I'm evil. It doesn't this matter. Doesn't, it's An sp- evil agent ruins the reputation. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter which one it make is. Any sense? Also, like they then don't try to hide the fact that Liam Neeson's evil. Also, we now get the reveal of what's wrong with Chris Hemsworth because this entire movie they've been saying something's wrong with you. The reveal is that he didn't actually save the day in the beginning of the movie. He just, uh, Liam Neeson was possessed by the hive and then he had his brain wiped to forget it. Mm -hmm. But why does that explain that he suddenly (laughs) became a drunk, lazy guy? It doesn't make any fucking sense. We have never seen in the Men in Black series that if you get neuralized, you suddenly become a drunk asshole. That has never... It does... ah, I fucking hate it. Yeah, it doesn't explain anything, really. It's just like... I guess it it's meant to say that like he's been living off the memory of a thing that he doesn't remember doing. So that's but... made him lazy? No, I don't think that explains it. You know, I said like... that I said that uh, uh unlike the predator it doesn't feel like a bunch of stuff was cut. <laughs> this storyline it feels like something very important was cut. This Maybe. did not make sense. And I I feel I I feel like there was some, at some point, some idea that, like, people besides Liam Neeson in The Men in Black are being possessed. Um, and maybe, like, Chris Hemsworth's character is, like, half-possessed. I don't know. But they go to the Eiffel Tower. Liam Neeson shows up. He's like, I'm a big bad guy. Can you believe it? Um, there, A portal appears. The hive, this ill-defined evil, starts to appear above Paris. Mm-hmm. They, uh, She gets sucked into the portal, but then Pawnee saves her. And then uh, Chris Hemsworth, there's a weird shot where he vanishes. Um, oh, yeah. There's a shot where he's supposed to be right by the portal, but then you see it again and he's not there. In the next shot where she flies in, he's suddenly gone. And then he's somewhere else. The geography of the scene makes no sense. Then they take the gun out. They shoot the hive. The hi- they shoot Liam Neeson. But also Chris Hemsworth somehow makes him, like, for a second, like, 
like the shining Jack Torrance come back and be like, Danny, I love you. Get out of the <laughs> overlook. Like for some reason, despite being an alien, uh, but then they shoot him and then Emma Thompson shows up and she's like, I knew he was bad all along. Anyway, Chris Hemsworth, you're the head of the London branch now. And M, you're uh, Molly, you're no longer probationary. probationary. Come yeah. back to America. But then she's like, before I go to America, we should hang out a little bit more. Set up for a sequel that will never come because no one liked this movie. Uh, the end. Yeah, let's ride the car. Yeah. Sorry, I spent <laughs> no, no. through that. I just don't care. No, you... Yeah, I didn't have much to add. Uh, well, now I, yeah, let's but talk I about guess my why question... does this not work? Why is this so bad? What was your, what was your question? Sorry. Well, my question is like, so what was Liam Neeson? Was he possessed, or was he like, did he die on the Eiffel Tower two to three years ago, and the alien assumed his appearance, or is it still because he knows a lot? So yeah. like. I presume if an alien just assumes your appearance, he doesn't also assume your memories and stuff. So, like, what is the logistic of his Well, they have one transformation. They have one scene where they're talking about the twins. Because the twins are not they don't think the twins are of the hive. They think the twins have been possessed by the hive, although it's revealed that that's not true. Um, so it seems that the hive doesn't actually like replace you. It causes mutations in your DNA. So mm. presumably he is still Liam Neeson in some way. Only the hive has possessed him. It it doesn't matter. But then like, isn't it very cruel to just kill Liam Neeson? Wouldn't you just yeah? They blow him to- away. <laughs> yeah, like wouldn't you like try to an exorcism of some kind? Well, maybe if the movie had been better made and been successful, maybe the idea was that like a future movie would try to save him, like bring him back. But mm. I think the major, pro- one of the, one of the many major problems is the relationship between Chris Hemsworth and Liam Neeson is incredibly important at the end of the movie, but we have no reason to care about it because Liam Neeson is so obviously evil and Chris Hemsworth, like all the other characters, is so poorly defined. Like if you think about, think about the original movie, mm-hmm. like, Everything is so clear. And I am actually, you know, I'm going to tell tell a fun story. This is like third hand. So I worked on a project a few years ago with someone who worked on the original movie. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me a story that um, uh, for uh, uh, for a while, the movie was testing very poorly. Mm-hmm. And um, the original cut of the original Men in Black had way more content about the war between the two the two warring alien species like mm-hmm. he described it as being like basically like a star trek thing where they really <laughs> got into like the arguments between the two and then they had someone saw a test screening and it wasn't working and Barry Sonnenfeld did a test screening and um he said someone watched it and and had had the brilliant note of that's not important this is a movie about the relationship between these two men everything that isn't about that or like isn't about that cut it down cut Mm -hmm. it way down and this movie the relationship between molly and uh horatio whatever the fuck his name is henry h and m is so poorly defined because they as characters are so poorly defined that nothing works and we have all this other shit about the hive and we don't care about any of it and it's and it's not a movie where it's like this is not a movie about an interesting science fiction like concept about like the hive can possess people but so much is emphasis is put on it and we don't care about it 
but what should the emphasis should be on the characters but they are so poorly defined like if you think about tommy lee jones in the in the first movie um he explains to will smith that you have to erase all of your connections to the regular world and uh will smith says is it worth it and tommy lee jones says yeah it's worth it if you're strong enough but he looks unsure Mm-hmm. And we also see him, the first time we see him, he neuralizes his older partner who's re- retiring and he seems pretty sad about it. Mm-hmm. We then get a scene very much later where Tommy Lee Jones is using satellite footage, satellite footage to uh, look at to uh, look at a woman, an older woman, a woman around his age. And we and Will Smith jokingly asks him about it, and he doesn't want to talk about it. And we know all we need to know. She is a woman from his life before he was the Men in Black, and he regrets leaving here, even though he's doing this great mission. And so at the end, when they've saved the day, mm-hmm. he finally his whole thing is he's trying to train a replacement because he wants to leave the Men in Black. And so Will Smith has finally proven himself, and so he's like, it's time for me to go. We have a repeat of the scene with his his partner from the beginning. He gets neuralized, and one of the last shots of the movie is him with that woman. He's reconnected with her. Mm-hmm. It is so simple and clear. What do we know? <laughs> he feels duty to the Men in Black, but he wants to be with this woman, yeah. So he needs to train this partner. That is so fucking clear. It is given so little time, but it is so clear. He All we see is he looks at a satellite image of a woman and he's sad because he wants to be with her. That's all we fucking need. What is any? What do any of these characters want in this movie? <laughs> yeah, I guess like we start off with sort of like Tessa Thompson wanting to be part of it. But, I mean, that's about it. She gets it, I guess. But then, like, I don't know. And, yeah, and then, like, Chris Hemsworth, I'm not entirely sure what he wants because, like, we don't really have, like, his doubts, like, am I really, did I really do this? Until, like, we sort of, he realizes that he might not have done that mission that he thinks that he did. I think, I think the arc is supposed to be, it's supposed to be that he is a huge hero. At the at Men in Black, because he did this thing, right, and he is living off his um, his accolades and reputation. However, he's not actually that great at his job, but mm-hmm. he's still living off this thing. And then when he discovers that he didn't actually save the day, instead of like letting it cripple himself, he instead makes the heroic the heroic choice to prove that he's changed to get. To be able to to be willing to risk his reputation as like his life reputation to save the organization, he tells Rafe Spall, "Save the re- the organization. Tell people I was evil," and that's supposed to be the proof that he's changed. He no longer cares about being the coolest guy around. However, those like. Those threads are there, but it's just not well set up. The idea that he is just loves being the most popular guy in the world. We don't really get that. Instead, we get people telling him over and over again that he's changed, which is setting up some kind of weird like, I don't know if it's going to be a body switch or like you've been possessed, whatever the fuck. But also like he's changed doesn't make sense with the nice arc that you just drew. Like because you've changed 
makes it seem like he was competent at one point. He which, should like, have if never want... been competent. Yeah, exactly. It should be that he's actually not good at this job, right. but because the evil alien rewrote his memory and lied, everyone thinks he's good at the job. Right. But yeah, that's the thing. Like, the you've changed doesn't fit with that arc, but there's nothing that actually fits with the you've changed arc that we've actually seen other than yeah. them repeating the fact that he's changed. It should be by admitting that he's not actually good at this job, he paradoxically proves that he's actually the best at this job because he cares more about the organization than himself. And I think that's why they kept that stupid scene with Rafe Spall in there when he says, tell everyone it was actually me, which mm -hmm. in the context of the movie we see makes no sense. But mm -hmm. I think in what it was supposed to be his original arc, that was the idea. Now let's move on to Molly. We get <laughs> we get multiple times. We get two times. Well, actually three if you include the line from Emma Thompson at the end of the movie that makes no sense. We get three references to the idea that she has wasted her entire life and has no social life because she has given it all up for the men in black. We set this up. She tells it to Emma Thompson. Then, apropos of fucking nothing, Chris Hemsworth goes, I bet you've never loved before, which makes no sense. It's supposed to be like she makes fun of him for having an ex-girlfriend. He's like, well, haven't you ever loved anyone? But it just doesn't really work. And then what's the end of that arc supposed to be? Shouldn't it be her being like, you know what? I do care. Like, I should have a social life. I've seen how the universe works. And you know what? Um, relationships and friendships are actually more important. And it's that maybe like, so that would be like, that would only make sense if the ending was her, like, Emma Thompson's like, great, you have your job, come back to America. And she's like, actually, I'd like to stay with my friends here in mm. London or something. But that's not really happens because what happens is we get 20 minutes where she's the main character. And then the movie goes, just kidding. Chris Hemsworth is the main character. <laughs> and it's a fucking spy movie now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very confused about what her arc is actually supposed to be. Because, like... It seems in the beginning, it's like, I want to be part of the men in black. And then she becomes part of the men in black. And that's about it. Yeah, where it. does she go from there? Yeah, I don't know. I she, mean, cool. she never becomes disillusioned with yeah. the organization. Nothing. She Like, good for story, you. Get your job. <laughs> yeah, her story ends at the 20-minute mark. Right. So then yeah. she just, so she then just becomes fucking, she just becomes his sidekick. Yeah, she becomes his, like foil yeah even though ugh, yeah it sucks because i feel like her arc could have been more interesting well like, like then, what would you like, say is will smith's like flaw in the first movie well he is kind of cocky he's cocky yeah. and arrogant right. it's right it's it's there the first he says uh uh you know the most the famous line from the trailer the difference between you and me is that i make this look good um his other nypd officers don't like him because he's arrogant mm -hmm. uh He's obviously better than them. He chases down the alien, but he's cocky about it. And then uh, I was rewatching some scenes uh, yesterday uh, after this disaster. <laughs> um, and there's a scene where he first joins and he, he, he decides to join the Men in Black. And he walks up to Tommy Lee Jones and he says, he says, OK, I'm going to do this. But there's a few things we have to agree on. One, you chose me because I got the skills. So you got to respect my skills, you know, so on and so forth. And then Tommy Lee Jones says, oh, by the like, OK, fine. But by the way, as of this moment, your skills, door opens, we see all the aliens, your skills mean about dick. Yeah. Great line, fun, I'm paraphrasing, it's better in the movie. But like, yeah, and then I, I'm i sure there's something he does later on that shows him, 
well, he becomes a better partner. I, it's just... I mean, there is, like... I mean, there's a way better defined arc for Will Smith, too. Like, I mean, he yeah, he sort of goes... He becomes super cocky, then he loses sort of, like, all that stuff. He has to learn, relearn everything on the job. And then, you know, he becomes a better partner with which, like, uh, Tommy Lee Jones feels like that he can leave his post with and have it be okay. Yeah, he's very arrogant in the first act, even in the, you know, the famous training scenes. Right. You know, he shoots little Tiffany in the, the shooting range <laughs> and he tells Rip Torn, like, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you got off my back about it, you know, all that stuff. And by the end, he is, you know, uh, uh, trusting, like, trusting his mentor characters and learning from them. Right. To the point where Will Smith, where Tommy Lee Jones trusts trusts him enough to uh, uh, retire himself. But also, like as we mentioned earlier, like all the character arcs. I mean, they're there in Men in Black, but they're like because the movie around them is more coherent and strong. Like it doesn't really like super matter. You can like sp- you can sort of like drop these crumbs in f- through the duration of the movie. But, like, and have, like, remind the audience, oh, this is what the characters are going through. But there's also, like, a sort of, like, kind of an engaging, coherent plot with Vince D'Onofrio. There's, like, all this other stuff. Well, it has a villain with an identity. It has... Yeah. I mean, you know, I think with each passing year, people become even more appreciative of how great Vincent D'Onofrio's performance in that movie is. Yeah. And also, oh, God, I forget her name. She's only in a couple scenes. The um, His wife? Yeah, the woman from SNL. Yeah, I forget her name, but she's great. Edgar. Uh, Like, yeah, the movie's hilarious. We have all these great characters. We haven't even mentioned Linda Fiorentino. This this has just become a podcast about the first Men in Black, which I haven't seen in 10 years. It's great. But, um, but like, yeah, the, 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 the thing that has the real arc is their friendship because it's a buddy cop movie. That doesn't fucking happen here. Yeah. But we have every once in a while, the movie clearly goes, oh, we need to have like a friendship moment. So we see like in the desert, they have some little conversations, but it, none of it means anything. And the right. characters are so poorly defined yeah, what would that you if say- they grow, I don't fucking know. What would you say is the defining dynamic between H and M? I think it's supposed to be... He has all the respect, but he's a slacker, and she's like a like I don't know a goody two shoes. But we don't ever see her picking up his slack. He seems no. to be doing his job. That's a major problem yeah. in the movie. And like we don't ever really see him like quote unquote school her either. Like there's nothing. Like there's for much of the movie, there's very little to indicate that she's not just another agent. Like there's very little she actually learns from him or like on the job that it, it that it's just like, why, why this story? Why are you like, I mean, you could have told any like it didn't need to be a reboot in the sense of like you have to start with a person who's new to men in mm-hmm. black. The audience is not new to men in black. Like. I mean, yes, it's been 20 years, but it's like, it's a well-known canon thing. Like, you don't have to start at the beginning each time. So, like, it could have been whatever story you wanted to tell. You know what? Well, here, we'll compare it to a different movie. Not the first Men in Black. Let's compare it to the first 21 Jump Street. Yeah. The first 21 Jump Street has both, like, hilarious jokes throughout. Lord and Miller, just nonstop hilarious jokes. Right. That's one thing this movie lacks. Non-stop <laughs> jokes. Not a single one is fucking funny. The first one on Jump Street has non-stop hilarious jokes. It's in a crazy world where the rules are pretty elastic. 
uh, uh, akin to, you know, a lot of Lorna Miller stuff. Um, uh, you know, in such a way that it pissed off the Star Star Wars folks. But like, um, they have a pretty elastic universe. But you know what's not elastic? You know what's very consistent and very well thought out? The relationship between the two main characters. The relationship between Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill's characters is so strong in that first movie that even if it wasn't as funny as it was, I would still enjoy that movie watching their friendship develop. That... That early montage, like, it's as simple as that early montage where Channing Tatum just like, just like, should we be friends? Like, it's, (laughs) it's as, it's so clear from moment one why they start, why they, why they become friends. The fact that they initially hated each other. The fact that they become friends because they each, uh, you know, fill a hole that the other one has. The fact that Mm -hmm. they help each other. The fact that why they turn on each other in the act two when they have to turn on each other. It's all so clear. This movie... I... So, my previous... So, like I said, there are so... We have seen movies that, on a technical level, are so much worse than this. That... And we've also seen movies that on a technical level are much worse than The Grinch. (laughs) But for whatever reason... Those two are my least, like, I hated watching The Grinch I and I hated watching this. watching The Grinch so much more than I enjoyed watching this. Oh, I hated this, this more. This yeah. has now surpassed The Grinch. That was yeah. my previous least I, I feel like there are some jokes in The Grinch that work. It, like, yeah, I, yeah, I genuinely, I was just so disappointed with this because I do, as opposed to you, I enjoyed the second and third mm-hmm. Men in Black movies as well. I like this world. It's like a fun like silly thing it is sort of james bond with aliens even before they introduced like yeah. london stuff it is that oh we we talked in the theater so we, neither of us to be fair we both went in not thrilled to be going to this no, movie no but the that trailers mainly, were terrible yeah oh snap um <laughs> can you please just cut in like uh i'll uh, cut in a can few you oh cut snaps. in at the beginning of this podcast, when I say, when I do the intro, can you just cut in that oh snap? <laughs> All right, I'll do it. And then no one will understand for 40 minutes. 40? <laughs> I think we've been talking for like over an hour. Well, I was, the first time we mentioned it. But <laughs> anyway, um, uh, uh, oh, fuck. What was I say? Oh, so yeah, we went in not being thrilled. But then the movie started. The great Danny Elfman from the ori- score from the original movie kicked in. They bring back the really fun, kooky typeface, which right. is basically the same typeface that Sonnenfeld used in the Adams Family movies. Right, exactly. Um, so basically, I guess just Charles Adams handwriting. <laughs> but like, um, but it it kicks in. I was like, oh, I remember how much I love this world, and then it's just instantly shit. Yeah, that's the thing. It, like, it does nothing with the world either. It's like, it's almost just a generic action movie that occasionally has aliens in it. But, like, the fact that it does, it's not important or cool or, like, there's nothing creative that happens with the aliens. There's nothing creative that happens with the plot. It's just, it's such a waste. And it's less than two hours. Is it? Yeah, it's like an hour and 55, so probably the whole movie is in like an hour 50. But like it feels so long and and when you're like when you're like, "Oh, okay, so around this time, this is this is the climax." And you're like, "Oh, they're like there." And you're like, "This is the thing you thought was exciting." It's just like, "Yeah, the Rebecca Ferguson Island." I mean, I know that's supposed to be like the sort of the misleading like climax of the movie, uh, but it's so unexciting that like 
Uh, just... And I I love everyone in this movie. Like you mentioned, you like mentioned Rebecca Ferguson with a grimace, and I just had a flash of how much I love Rebecca Ferguson I in like the Mission her Impossible movies. I like her in other movies. things. I don't like her in this. No, I like yeah. I, Tessa Thompson and yeah. Chris Hemsworth throw on Thor Ragnarok. Every scene they have is fun as shit. Yeah. Liam Neeson, I love Liam Neeson. Emma Thompson, I love Emma. Th- I love Kamal. I, I Rafe Spall, I love all of them. This movie sucks. Yeah, it's just like there's nothing exciting or interesting about this movie. And it really, I feel very bad for like all the people involved too. Because it's like, I want Tessa Thompson to still get roles and stuff. And I, I feel, think she's fine. I hope so. Because I don't know. I don't want people to be like, she's not bankable or whatever. Like, this Well, she's had, she's had a bunch of uh, hits well, aside from this. I guess Dear White People would be, like, the only thing. Like, because I well, don't I mean, count in... Thor. Okay, well, uh, uh, d- 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 Sorry to Bother You did really well for what it was. Oh, yeah, she wasn't Sorry um, to Bother She's the, the major female lead in the Creed movies. Okay, good, good, I, good. I think Tessa Thompson's okay. doing just fine. You're right, I forgot those. I hope so, because I feel like she's never, like, the main... Because, like, even in Creed, she's, like, the yeah. girlfriend of... Or, like, right. Sorry to Bother You. She's, like, this is one of the only ones where, like... She's sort of like the lead in this movie, and it kind of sucks that it's so lifeless. Because I mean, she is such an engaging performer. Yeah, I, uh, I've seen a bunch of people saying stuff like, "Oh, it just proves that Chris Hemsworth's not a bankable star outside of the Marvel movie." So yeah, I get the. I'm sure they will unfairly take a lot of the blame, but like, watch those trailers. Oh snap, those trailers are so lifeless. Because they're trying to bring life into a movie that does not have it, that no wonder fucking no one went to see this movie. And yeah, I know it was number one, but it's it needs to like the estimates are it needs to make three hundred million <laughs> to break even. And what did it make in America? Twenty eight. Yeah, it's not gonna do it. Uh, was this was this your least favorite movie we've watched so far? Uh, Night School is my least favorite okay. movie. <laughs> so John, I mean. This might be a bit redundant at this point, but like, what is your letter grade to this movie? All right, you want to count down? All right, All right. three, two, two, one, D minus. Yeah, yeah, well, off by a half, as always. We're always, yeah, and I just, yeah, maybe I, I, I should refuse do a D to D give an A plus or an F. I mean, it's because, yeah, it's it's it is proof that you can be technically proficient and be less fun to watch than. Yeah. The movies that, like, can barely string a scene together. You know, like, sometimes I think, like, when it's very hot outside and I have nothing to do, like, and there are, like, <laughs> movies I don't really want to see in theaters, but I'm like, well, it can't be, like, it's, it's a movie made in Hollywood. It's probably competent. <laughs> and then, like, it, this happens and this is, like, I would rather be anywhere else. I envision a bright future for this movie where people are on long airplane flights. They go, oh, yeah, I didn't see that. I like I like Tessa Thompson. And they put it on in 10 minutes and they go, I, I brought a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's just, I mean. But we've talked longer than the movie. I know. Please just, if you are have not seen the movie but are interested in it just bring our rantings with you <sighs> to the movie theater well uh, anyway um let's it's our new movie week so uh we can tell you guys next week um for our retro movie we will be jumping back 30 years Ooh, we're old <laughs> oh do you see in the sky 
It's the bat signal. But 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 bat. <laughs> it is a. Uh, even though we don't have to, we're watching another superhero movie. <laughs> we are watching Tim Burton's 1989 big blockbuster Batman. Batman. Uh, I have not seen it. Uh, I, I I saw it like once in middle school. I really don't remember it, so I'm excited. Yeah, I saw it other either in middle school or in high school once. I remember enjoying it. That's all I have for it. <laughs> all right. So, um, uh, so usually we end our old movies with a, a little rundown of other things that we've watched. Mm-hmm. Since this one is going so long, uh, maybe I'll, I, and I, I've actually got a bunch. I'll, I'll just do a really quick rundown. Um, movies I saw uh, that, that are fucking all better than Men in Black International. <laughs> um, I saw Under the Silver Lake. Um, I, uh, uh, I really liked it. Really interesting movie. Uh, at times I loved it. At times I hated it. Sometimes mm. in the same scene. <laughs> I think that's kind of what the movie wants. It's, um, a, a tough movie to watch because Andrew Garfield's character on purpose, I should be clear, is so truly despicable. Oh, um, no. but it is, uh, it's a really cool, interesting movie. Um, uh, uh, at the very least, watch it for the, the piano scene. That's all I'll say. Um, I went to the theaters. I saw Booksmart. Uh, I saw Oli- that too. Yeah, Olivia Wilde's movie. Um, I thought it was. Uh, re- I really liked it a lot. It was interesting. Olivia Wilde. So it's a teen movie. Um, that movie feels like it was a, a a super bad type script. You know, super bad with girls. But um, Olivia Wilde makes uh, literally starring Jonah Hill's sister uh, in the Jonah Hill role. But um, Olivia Wilde um, makes a choice to film it all in kind of this. Uh, music video style, a lot of close-ups, which I thought kind of dampened the comedy, but I thought really brought mm. out the drama. And so I thought the dramatic scenes worked way better than the comedy scenes, and I loved them. And this is a movie, or it's a teen movie, where one of the major twists is that it sets up a bunch of uh, jokey stereotype characters and then gives just spends a lot of time giving surprising depth to all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, it has a a third act party scene that has a a pool sequence through a big fight scene that I, were some of my favorite moments that I've seen in movies this year. Um, not a perfect movie by any stretch, but I really liked it a lot. Um, I saw Rocket Man, the Elton John. I went with a group of friends who wanted to see Rocket Man. And I hate music biopics. Um, I think they're stupid. I think trying. I don't like biopics in general. I, I the idea of condensing a human life into a three act structure never works well. It always ends up being the same movie. Oh, it's a musician. Can't wait for him to get uh, into drugs so we can leave Act Two. Um, mm. But this movie, they make a choice to film the entire thing as if it's a, a movie adaptation of a stage jukebox musical of Elton John's life more mm. than like a quote unquote realistic biopic. Um, and the parts where it was just a full on goofy, stupid musical uh, were a lot of fun. The musical sequences were a lot of fun. Unfortunately, the act two where it kind of forgot to be a fun musical and became a boring biopic about drug addiction. That part sucked and was pretty boring. Mm. But the first, like, 40 minutes are a real treat. Mm. All right. Well, I, had too, have watched Booksmart. I really enjoyed it. I really like their relationship. I think that's the thing I like the most. Uh, also, it's 
uh, the son of Cuba Gooding Jr. is one of the roles, and the daughter of Carrie Fisher, and that was kind of cool. Wait, the son of Cuba Gooding Jr.? Yeah, he's Nick, the dumb jock guy, the vice president. Oh my god, I see it! Wow, yeah. And the uh, 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 woman who plays Gigi yeah, it's Carrie is Fisher's Carrie daughter. Fisher's daughter. It's funny, I, and I've seen her in the new Star Wars movies, I didn't recognize and her. And in Scream Queens. That's where I, I didn't saw watch her. It. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, she's someone. But it's weird. She looks so much like less than Carrie Fisher. She looks like Olivia Wilde, like in the eyes. So That's for true, the entire it. movie, I was like, I think Olivia Wilde cast her younger sister. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I really like the characters. I thought it was super fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, and I guess like out of the things that I saw that are new and I liked, I really liked the Lonely Islands, Unauthorized Bash. Oh, I still have to finish that. <laughs> I watched half of the it. The Bash Brothers experience. Yeah. It is very, very good and very, very funny. Apparently, the Major League Baseball is kind of behind it and is advertising it, which well, I find Well, the athletics better. certainly are. Uh, yeah, but it seems like Major League Baseball has been just tweeting about it. I think like, there might be a thing where uh, uh, to use those official logos, he would have had to. Yeah, there's get okay. so many. Yeah, and the songs, I think they're all like start from a base point of being like pretty good, and some of them are like mm-hmm. really, really great. Uh, yeah, it's just like such a weird thing for Lonely Island to do, but that's a very Lonely Island thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm seeing them on Saturday, and they say that they have special guests. So I'm hoping for a Maya Rudolph cameo so they like do that song again. Yeah, and I could have gone, but I couldn't. So I'm oh, sad. I almost went. Um, uh, for doing streaming, are you done? Yes. Oh, if we're doing streaming, I also I finally got a chance to watch Tim Robinson series on Netflix. I like. Oh, it a lot. that was really good. And I also finished the Catastrophe series, and it's very i I do think it's the best thing streaming oh. TV has given us. I think Catastrophe is it. Oh, oh, oh! And bridging the bridging bridging movies and TV shows. Uh, I saw the Deadwood movie, and it's fucking great. Yeah. I never thought it would happen, and it happened. And it's, you know, uh, as as good as you would have dreamed. And the moment it started, I was like, oh, right. I fucking love these characters. I love every single one of them. And I, I will freely admit that I got teary-eyed multiple times during it. Aw, I've never saw Deadwood, but I, I, I like that it's good. Or, like, I like that the movie is good and, like, it's not a shitty thing the fans it's are going to hate. It's fucking great. Uh, and the show's great. Awesome. And you should watch the TV. My my parents are, uh, thanks to the movie, uh, they decided, I just talked to them yesterday, and randomly they had decided to start the series. So they are near the end of season one, and they're loving it, uh, which is understandable, because it's one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Oh, wow. All right. Well, Deadwood is another show I need to watch. Anyway, dear listener, in <laughs> case you survived this podcast, Please let us know that you did. That would be nice. Yeah, let, and let us know if, you, if if we went way too long on this one. Yeah, is there if anyone finished this, it would be nice for you to let us know in some way so that we know. We are still not going to try intentionally to make episodes this long, but maybe uh, if people are actually listening to them all the way I through. Thought it, it's funny because I was the Phantom Menace one shorter. Because we hated, like, we certainly hated that movie, too. I don't know why we went on such a long episode for this movie. I think Phantom Menace was, like, a dull ache, and everyone's already talked about how much that movie sucks. This one, this one just, 
it, it's just frustrating. Are we the anger. only movie podcast that actually talk about Moon and Black? I mean, who fucking watched it? I don't know. Probably no one. Oh, well, this makes this uh, <laughs> venture even more worthwhile. But until next Batman. Oh, I do know. I do. Two of my friends, because I posted online that we were doing this, and uh, uh, two of my friends, uh, uh, Justin and Michael, commented saying, we've been yelling about this movie since we saw it hours ago. Yay. So I think I think we are in the, the majority opinion on this one. That's good. Well, hopefully they would like to also listen to it and yell with us yeah. as they hear yellow long <laughs> yellow long this is gonna be our yellow long podcast anyway until next batman bye john same, same bat time same bat channel same bat time same bat channel same bat signal and same bat dance <laughs> toot toot bat tootsie bat tootsie <laughs>